Good afternoon. My name is Sean, your North Texas attorney here on a doctor and a lawyer walk into a podcast. It's June 11th, 2023. And I'm here with my good friend as always, Dr. Blum. Dr. Blum, how you doing? I'm doing excellent. Great to see you, Sean Esquire, excellent friend, and great to be here. Great to be speaking to everyone, speaking at everyone, speaking with everyone. Yeah, it's a it's a warm, sunny Sunday here in Texas. Um, we're going to get right into follow-up from last week because we can basically say at this time, we called it. Um, Absolutely called it. Ma- major stories here. A little follow-up on the Ken Paxton ordeal. Uh, part of his impeachment was helping out a Austin real estate investor, Nate Paul, who Dr. Blom has dubbed Nasty Nate. Right, right um, out of the gates, I said Nasty Nate, and look at that. Oh, and and guess what? Just this week, uh, he was Nasty Nate Paul, charged with eight felony counts of making false statements to financial institutions to acquire loans. I think. So, yeah, I mean, he he's going to get the brunt of justice. And I, I think mm-hmm. Ken is going to, um, nasty Ken, <laughs> gotta get a nickname. Uh, corrupt Ken is going to be shucking and jiving and dancing around all kinds of, uh, charges and everything else. I'm still really excited to see how this plays out. Listeners, Sean Esquire sent me a bit more backstory on these rock star attorneys that are heading this up and defending, Ken and uh, the cast of players that are coming to the front. These guys are heavy duty hitters. These guys are like Michael Jordan of of uh, criminal law, and so of I'm jurisprudence. Yeah, these guys are sort of legendary, and they're not they're not young, so they have thousands and thousands of cases under their belt. I'll be very excited to continue to follow this story. I don't think the media is pushing it as much as they should. This is this is real deal rock star Pretty lawyers serious. you know this is like mike tyson lawyer versus mma uh the irish guy the loud irish guy lawyer so it's going to be blood on the lawyer floor metaphorically <laughs> and in addition to that uh you had spoke in depth i mean almost at ad nauseum about volcanoes for the past two podcasts. I mean, I thought it was just going to be a volcano podcast. It got so intense. I liked, I liked saying the lead in was like, I've got some explosive facts for you. And I just couldn't get away from that. So I guess then you know, eventually fire facts. Who doesn't love volcanoes? What did you build every single year for science fair? when you were a kid, so in this particular answer, we did one episode where I spoke about volcanoes and then there was a, like a little blur follow up. So I think Sean Esquire is being a little dramatic here with that. I, I beat everyone over the head. There was con- <laughs> constant fan mail. Like we want more volcanoes, which I understand everyone is as big of a science nerd as I am, but a feather in my hat that uh, we were both right, or me, because I was pushing volca- the volcano agenda. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, <laughs> I pushed the volcano agenda. Uh, that Kilauea, which we still agree, excellent name, erupted a couple days ago. So we talked mm-hmm. about Nasty Nate. Lo and behold, Nasty Nate. And then we talked about Kilauea. So this was on the 9th. It's currently the 11th, a couple days ago. Now this is out in Hawaii. Correct. This is the Hawaiian Kilauea 
which is great. They have summit webcam footage, so you can just watch this thing. It last erupted back in January with activity stretching into March. And then the USGS people, they said on the 8th of just this last week, was lowering a safety alert for Hawaii's Kiliuavak uh, volcano a day after warning that a new eruption had taken place there. And then the level was moved from warning to watch because the initial high effusion rates, they've declined. So no infrastructure is threatened yet, but we want to keep our eyes on this story because it's a big media cover up. They're going to try to uh, ignore this Kilauea thing. You, you name something Kilauea, bad things are going to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah, buyer beware on that one. We are going to stay yeah. on top of this volcano story and everyone's like oh this uh is the, uh the doctor guy he never shuts up about volcano oh look what happened oh it was right so yeah we're changing the mayacopa section to we called it hmm. um another follow-up from the chinese spy balloons we haven't seen anything more on chinese spy balloons but there was news that china has a spy base in cuba to intercept u.s transmissions and I guess a U.S. official confirmed it. China's had this base there since 2019. So doesn't sound like it's much of a surprise. I just kind of wonder, well, why did you have to send balloons if you were like, I don't know, an hour off the coast of Florida? So, yeah, I mean, all of that is pertinent that you say, why are you jacking around with balloons? You guys have satellites. Never mind the fact that they definitely have actual spy infiltrators within our borders. And they have this base or they have this secret spy ops, you know, Cold War 2.0 that they're doing down in Cuba that someone in D.C. has known about at least since 2019, probably before. So why release that information now? There's a lot of I think we can call we can call it saber rattling between the U.S. and China. That's been Mm -hmm. picking up and picking up. And China wants to make peace deals between Ukraine and Russia. China wants to be a player on the international stage, the number of things. So definitely, I think it's going to be a continued need for us to watch what exactly is going on with China. And as we always say, with any kind of media release, any kind of mainstream media release, there's information, there's disinformation, there's the real deal story, which we are working day and night to, to bring all of our our six listeners in Belgium. And I don't know if we're up to 12 in Belgium, <laughs> right? Yeah. If you guys want the real story, you're going to come here. I mean, that's all there is to it. You're not going to get anywhere else. We've that's we've right. already proved that with the volcano. So obviously, we know what we're talking. We did it. We're <laughs> we're two for two. Nasty Nate and volcano. So we are uh, we are as credible as they come. Definitely better than news agencies brought to you in part by Globo Pharmacology Corp. Those guys. And China's planning to go to the moon. They have been for a while, yeah. The interesting thing on the China space race is they have really, really ramped it up in the last 20 years or so that you look at before 2000, before 2003, not a heck of a lot going on, you know, like satellites and things like that. And the last 10 years in particular, they're really, really pushing it. So this isn't really a recent announcement, but I I think this continues to be, this is sort of like intergalactic saber rattling uh, laser laser saber rattling. So China and the U.S., are, they're both, quote unquote, eyeing the same landing sites on the uh, lunar south pole. I don't know. Mm. Why, I mean, there's something going on there if they're both trying to land there. 
China wants to get there before 2030. That's the warmest part down south. Oh, it's, you know, it's the most scenic. It's, it's where, it's you where have, the beaches are. Like, I mean, they have all the alien bases there from before. So you just kind of move in. It's a turnkey operation at that point. So China plans to land astronauts on the moon before 2030. And they want to add a fourth module. It's getting greedy. I mean, what are you going to do with four modules that you can't do with three? Fourth modules to its space station officials with the nation's space agency said. So that's what they said. So we've got a huge, well, continued spy war, Cold War kind of thing with China going on down here on Earth. We also have whatever's going to happen with the balloons. I still think when they blew up one of the balloons or whatever, they released some nanobots out there. The effects that we haven't seen yet, they probably created like a thousand Manchurian candidates, which, by the way, is foreshadowing for later. So Sean Esquire, remind me, Manchurian candidates. So I, I think I, I don't think that blowing up those spy balloons was without damage. It was something they wanted that to happen. They released a bunch of tiny, tiny nanobots that are going to spy on people, or release like some super virus, and there's going to be a thousand U.S. citizens that all of a sudden are like, "We hate, we hate the U.S." That's how. That's that's probably what got me sick like two weeks ago. Yeah, that's how it starts with the nanobots, the Chinese nanobots. Okay. So that was dumb. You know- that was dumb to blow up the balloon. I've already put it down on show notes as a follow-up for next week because it would China. I know twice in the past, like two years, there's been news articles where a Chinese rocket is going to re-enter earth's atmosphere to splash down, but they have no idea where it's going to come in at. You mean you a, a satellite or a, or a rocket? But like a rocket, like they send a rocket up and then on re-entry, they just don't, it's like space debris that's going to fall into the Earth's atmosphere, but they don't know where it's going to crash at. Uh, I mean, they've done that with satellites before, a number of satellites. So you sort of the, the for whatever reason, they become defunct, and then the orbit degrades, and then they burn up. There's an old International Space Station they did that with. Like, I think it was that, that was International Space Station 1.0. So I don't know. I feel like China has their hands in a lot of pies. They've got spy stuff going on. They've got plans for the moon and space and then they also have probably taking down the u.s from the inside which doesn't make sense to me because we're their best customer so Mm -hmm. they're going to go you know they want to go to the world they want to devalue the u.s dollar they want to strengthen their chinese dollar i get that part Uh, every country wants to do that but if you're going to make your best customer for all of your products that are made in, in sweatshops and child labor shops and prison shops uh, if you're going to get a uh, eliminate that customer base, you're not going to have a lot going for you either on top of that. So I don't understand the big picture, but I do understand that they're a world superpower. We're a world superpower. Russia is engaged in their Ukraine stuff. And so this is how it's going to be. And I have my own theories on that that can probably get into later. But uh, I like a good space race because it creates jobs. There's that. And it, it really escalates the demand let's get to space let's get to mars so a lot of the things that we were doing in the 60s we were competing directly with russia because of that we have laptops and cell phones and all kinds of technology came from that so sometimes a cold war is not the worst thing ever in terms of getting off of earth and getting to the next evolution technological evolution of the world in general so i'm optimistic yeah. i'm optimistic in that regard and maybe it's all engineered for those purposes cia and China CIA got together and said, hey, we're going to make this whole Cold War thing, 
Cold War 2.0, and then that's going to make the best spaceships ever so that when the aliens come, then we can actually fight them because, you know, that's probably going to happen soon. All right. And um, last thing on follow-up, we have seven five-star reviews now on Apple Podcasts with one uh, review actually giving a written review. This is a shout-out to Hidden Jedi who said, Doctors, am I right? Throw in a lawyer. What? Okay. That is... (laughs) That is a very, very well earned uh, take on on things, and so I'll, I'll high five to you, whoever that is. Probably, probably Sean Esquire's grandma. I probably like six, <laughs> six or seven out of seven of those reviews are from Sean Esquire's family so, so and the, my family. The, the, the cat women or the volcano lovers of the podcast. Oh man, the volcano lovers are just very like, yes, we have a voice now. <laughs> you do. All science nerds, I I will be, I will usher us into uh, this next realm of humanity. And here we go. Yes. Beer time. Beer time. Very excited about this week. Again, that was a can, Triple Hop Three Miller Light, but I only did that for the sound bit because I am finishing off the last of my four Maritsu Abbey Triple Triple 10% beer that 10 percent uh she is a harsh mistress that one it's taken me a week to get through three of them can i say in terms of well one I, i'm gonna i'm gonna give a little bit of a i'm sorry to the belgians that i keep promising to get actual belgian beer i'm getting these abbey styles but last week i got called in for a couple nights of work and i just kind of brushed out of the house and and i said oh i'll just take a six pack maybe have a couple beers after work and then, so one of the beers was the the nine point four percent that I had last week. So I had that one, and I had a regular beer, a regular American, well, I say an amber beer, and that was good. I was like, okay, so maybe nice. the secret for me drinking less beer is just to have to like a nine ten percenter Abbey, and then cut back on those carbs. You know, I'm always fighting that that carb right. battle. That carb bat- battle. I try to just partition the beer is going to be my carbs for the week, and maybe maybe I'll sneak some pasta in there. And then if that'll... they can if they can get this to thirty percent, <laughs> why are you why are you phoning it in at ten percent? You cranking it up, crank it up, one, get it up to <laughs> one beer every three days. <laughs> at that point, like we talked about, just go for the whiskey. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I need the strongest beer possible. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe a little bit. So I'm 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 sold. The Belgian beer, or I'm sorry, once again, the Belgium-style Abbey beers I've had, really good, obviously a little bit heavy, but it's okay to be heavy because you're only going to have one or two. And <laughs> Sean yeah. Esquire, if I, if I ever text you, I'm like, I'm 10 beers deep into this 10%, <laughs> case, this case of 10%ers. Let's uh, just, just come over because I'm having problems. There's some stuff going on in my life that I probably need to talk about. You're, so you're, this is your last, this is your swan song of that four pack. Yes. So I'll be trying something different to come next week. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to go with. Probably another Belgian beer, but I'm going to try finding something from a different store. So this is some... my, my challenge to the listeners. You know, whoever is, is giving us the most love, we're going to give it right back. So we've had a lot of Belgium love. I'm going to try to stay on the Belgium train, even though I haven't gotten an official Belgian beer. I'm sorry, Belgium, uh, Belgium folk. 
I'm going to get on that. Uh, but I'm getting, I'm getting there. So yeah. We've, if, we've had some listeners in Germany, so maybe I could go more of a German beer. I mean, Germans I make know. amazing beer. And then, you know, this is, this is the slippery slope of like, this is act one, stage one, like, Hey, we should have some German beers. And then like two weeks from now, we're like, Oh, we got a bunch of German listeners. We got to go to German fest. We got to go to German Oktoberfest. That's Oktoberfest. Yeah. yeah. And then episode probably like 16, 17, we're doing on location from, from Oktoberfest or whatever. From a beer garden. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta go to Oktoberfest in Germany and get like the delicious sausages and see all the ladies running around in there. Is there like lady Ladenhosen or Ladenhosen is just for dudes? Oh, the, the leader hosen. That's Leiden. just the suspenders, right? I think the, uh, the females one is a dendril. Fro, Fronlau? Is it Fronlau? I, no, Leiden, I no Ladenhosen is just for dudes and they have like the little shorts and suspenders. Yeah, it's uh, suspenders. And, yeah, right. I'm pretty sure. Okay. We might have to do some follow-up on that if we get We're this gonna all We're going to do wrong. so much follow-up on that. And then, and then obviously, field trip. Field trip to Oktoberfest. I am on this week, Maudite, M-A-U-D-I-T-E. This is actually, this is uh, from Quebec, but this is another Abbey-style beer. Mine is, from their webpage, wrapped in a red cloak. This aromatic complex beer reveals a scent of spice. What, what spice? I don't know. Orange and malt. Oh, there they answered it. Followed by <laughs> caramelized notes and a finish as hot as dying embers. Holy Ooh. mackerel. Yeah, they like hired a poet. Is it spicy? They hired a poet laureate for that. No, it's not particular. There's nothing that I would be like, ooh, this beer is like. They're microdosing you. <laughs> well, too too late. Um, too late there, Maudette. Maudite. I'm already, I've already been macrodosed with Sambal and, and you name it. It evokes. Why the... do I got a feeling that we're pronouncing it totally wrong? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a French, like <laughs> Canadian, right? It's probably like Maudi mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, this is from Cham Chambly OC. If, the OC. If we her... get our if we get our special guest on later on, be prepared, everyone. Ask her how she pronounces it. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll just say that uh, you're you're definitely gonna get that. So apparently the OC is not always the OC, you know, the show or the orange like the kids, right? Sometimes the it means Real Housewives. Quebec. This is the this is the Quebec. So this beer that I have today, uh, this um, Unibrew, U N I B R O U E. I don't know how many of those vowels I'm spr- U- supposed to pronounce, right? Probably Unibrow. The Maudite. It evokes the Quebec legend of La Chasey Galerie, or uh when if you don't want to speak french the flying canoe which everyone knows that tells the tale of men you know how the flying canoe it tells a tale of men who would risk anything for a night of fun even making a pact with the devil so every time i'm like sean esquire let's go have a night of fun and you're like well i don't know we gotta careful <laughs> of the flying the flying, flying canoe. canoe i mean yeah it's the first thing first thing you worry about when you call your friend about for a night on the town even making a pact with the devil so this is uh I got a I got an eight percenter over here. It is a Dubell. It's uh IBU, which we talked about last time. China Square, you remember me with my small beer beer lecture? IBU. Uh insane British units. <laughs> so close. International bitterness units, right? Mm. I got an IBU of twenty two over here with my Dubell. And then um 
there's some graphs that kind of give me a headache. I don't need all that. I'm not trying to do quantum physics with my, with my beer tasting, but I do have a couple of food pairings from the, okay. from the unibrow.com site, the U-N-I-B-R-O-U-E.com. These guys make my Maudite, uh, very delicious. What do they pair it with? A nice Wolf brand chili? Kind of. I bet you it would work with that. Uh, spicy dishes. That could mean a thousand beans, beans and Rotel. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of the stewed tomatoes in your pantry and replace it with spicy Rotel. Also, uh, for whatever, a creme brulee. Remember all those times you were, <laughs> you were eating creme brulee and you're like, I want an 8% beer with this and it better, <laughs> it better evolve a goddamn flying canoe and then, and the devil. <laughs> Every time I have creme brulee, that's my first thought. Uh, so those are totally different things, by the way. So that's how versatile this beer is from Quebec. It's uh, Abbey, Abbey style. Sorry, Belgium. I'm going to get a Belgian beer. A spicy dish or a creme brulee. Also, a strong tasting, soft washed rind cheeses. I'm just, okay. my fridge is filled with those. I can't. So now. Soft washed? I mean, I mean, you don't want to overdo it. You don't it. wash hard, it too hard. Hard wash. That's hard how wash. you get you the just... holes in the cheese. <laughs> That's what it's happened to the Swiss. Just like scrubbing your cheese with SOS pads. Like, they, so were hard. Using pre- they were using pressure washers and they shot holes right through their cheese. Why are you washing your cheeses so hard? What's going on with your cheeses? <laughs> so soft, strong, strong tasting, soft wash, rind cheeses. That's, uh, that's, mm. from, that's from the Quebec folk. So uh, high five to uh, Unibrow or whatever that is. Uh, spicy, Man, they spicy go finish. so in depth. I would love to see like you look up Miller Lite, and they're like pair as well with a hot dog. <laughs> uh, pair it's pair as well with your third divorce. It's just <laughs> yeah, bravo, bravo to all of the poet laureates and whoever else got involved on that write up on Mon- on right. my diet. Yeah, man, they. Put on follow up. Let's let's check out some of the Miller Lights and stuff. Let's see their, their webpage. <laughs> what their web, pairings are. Webpage. Well, yeah, the pairings and the webpage write ups and there is there a flying canoe involved or what's involved with the, the Miller? <laughs> Miller is like, have did you just get rejected from your fifteenth job interview? Miller Light. <laughs> have a Miller Light. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's my that's beer talk. Beer. Do you want you want to do a quick uh, quick break? We'll come back with uh, food, etc. That will work. We'll okay. be right back. Well, quick break, right back. And we're back. Welcome to a doctor and lawyer walking to a podcast. Dr. Blom, we left off on beer and you wanted to do a quick follow-up. Well, life is about knowing your limitations and I believe in moderation, especially moderation. So I said, oh, let's take a quick, quick break here. Had coffee this morning, then beer, as we often do. And then uh, we had made the comment of, quantifying 8%, 10% is a really big difference here. I was like, you know what, man, 8%, that's not a big deal. I'll probably just have like another 8% back to back. Then took break, uh, 10 steps to the bathroom. I'm like, uh, just the one, just the one 8% <laughs> is fine. There's no reason to get into that. And then I feel like maybe the beer companies know what they're doing and we, we shouldn't be armchair qu- quarterback, <laughs> the beer folk and like crank it up to 30%, <laughs> crank up. <laughs> Crank up a beer. I'm just going to guess in terms of public health policy that you do a 30% beer. That's a gateway drug to taking up like shooting morphine, like IV, IV heroin use, something like that. There's a reason why the beer companies are like, okay, we don't want to, we don't want to crank I it would, up to 30, 30%. I would beer. just be passed out. I don't think I could function. 
it would come it would come in basically like little shot glasses for on the go i mean you wouldn't get a 12 ounce 30 percent beer and then sean esquire and i were, were laughing about if you uh, if the beer companies do get amb- ambitious there's going to be just people waking up with their head shaved in mexico just having all kinds of all kinds of those nights that the quebecians try to warn us about with the flying canoe canoes <laughs> and the devil there's flying canoes and de- my beer is eight percenter and they said flying canoes and the devil a flying canoe i feel like it would be a shitty situation that first of all there's no air condition it's probably no there's probably no wi-fi on the flying canoe so mm. yeah eight percent ten percent and then also yeah don't get greedy if you have an eight percenter don't feel like well i could probably have like three more <laughs> <laughs> well um food did yeah. you have a meal did you have a meal of the week i did not so much you know we are saying goodbye to our exchange students we have an exchange student from italy an exchange student from france uh and so we've just kind of thrown out carte blanche hey what do you what do you uh what do you want to eat this week we did tacos last night always always olive ache. garden and oh. la madeline you know what man we really i really really pushed for it and i wanted to make a like a youtube and become famous i'm like oh i'll be the next mr beast because no one has ever thought about an italian eating olive garden before there's like a bazillion videos <laughs> there's nothing <laughs> nothing clever on my end but she <laughs> it's just so opposed i was like hey uh just get some olive garden and then I'll, I'll tape it and we'll have like a little laugh about it. She's like, no, 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 no. And she's a great, she's a great kid. She has a great attitude about everything. Like, let's go bowling. Yes. Let's go. Let's go do this. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> shut down the Olive Garden immediately. So yeah, I don't think, I don't think that's going to fly. I've kind of given them, you know, just a blank check, like carte blanche. Uh, so see what hopefully I'm going to grill later tonight, but if I do grill great weather lately, although it is getting insanely hot, both of us, we've discussed many times. We, we like to grill the steaks. Yes. Yes. But not standing in a hundred degree heat, preferably. Yeah, that's tough. I got a little shaded spot. My, my little five by five dad area. That's sort of my Zen. Like everybody has the rest of the house. Basically the only part of the house that I have is my, my little five by five area. (laughs) Got like a, three by three area where I make my morning coffee, got my five by five area where I, where I grill my steaks and listen to CCR and uh, think about life. And so, yeah, I, you are, you're not strictly married to married to ribeyes or. Uh, no. So I kind of had a, a meal though. And this is, I've, I've learned something new in my steak cooking, Dr. Blom, you know, we had the talk last week and I, I used I sent you the picture and you're like that crust turned out perfect. Gorgeous. So I went on this Google expedition rabbit hole of creating the perfect crust for steak. I, many and many hours of my life, just just days of my life lost down that rabbit hole. But I, what, what did you, what did you find? I I think I found a cheater method. So the key to it is you gotta make sure your steak is dry. So you've got to get as much moisture out of it before you sear it to get that. And you want to do a reverse sear. So you want to cook it first, sear it really hot at the end of it. All of this sounds like topsy-turvy world that I don't want to be a part of. So the key that I found to do this is cover your entire steak in cornstarch about at least 30 minutes before you grill it. 
So pull it out, put cornstarch down, roll the whole thing in cornstarch and let it sit for 30 minutes. And then you can wipe off the moisture and some of the cornstarch after it's done setting. It's still going to have cornstarch on it, but then you season it, pat it into the meat, grill it low and slow, sear at the end. I did that on a tenderloin, so basically a filet the other night. The wife said, this is probably the best steak you've ever done. And I was like, done. Yeah. No, you make a lot, you make a lot of steaks and your wife has excellent taste in, in the food that you guys eat. And so that's a, that's heavy duty. Yeah. So you did, you did a dry rub after your cornstarch thing. Just did uh, salt, pepper, garlic. Oh, wow. You didn't get into your gunpowder with your charcoal, activated charcoal and all that. Oh, you know what? I did use gunpowder on that one. No, it was salt, pepper, gunpowder seasoning, patted it on it because there was no binder, right? I had pulled all the moisture out, so I wasn't going to put oil back on it. The key was like, keep the whole thing dry. So once you put season, you got to like pat the meat. So it'll kind of stick at least a little bit to it. And it did fairly well. Uh, But the, it was perfect. Like I was like, I've solved the Rubik's cube. Okay. Yeah, man. I'm always, I'm always looking for, looking for that, that magical road to, I'm always looking for the perfect cup of coffee, the perfect steak, all of that. And I've tried many. So in terms of the, the dry part, I have seen a number of videos where these guys just cake it in butter. Have you seen Mm -hmm. these? And then they put it in like that dry cabin. (laughs) It's like weird. This is like weird Viking stuff that I'm like, I'm not going to leave meat out in a cabin for like a month at a time. <laughs> I don't care if the cabin is in the middle of the mountains or whatever. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm not leaving exposed meat in like just out. And then I'm like, Oh, it's been 60 days. It's time to cook this disgusting thing. I'm going to a- cut this hard shell off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've seen all of them and it looks mm-hmm. great. The, when the end product, number one, number two, I don't think I have the discipline to, to set aside 30, 60 days uh, for prepping time on steaks. They have those, I don't know if they're air dryers or whatever they are. They stick the steaks in. Have you seen those? Uh, yes, I have. So you just you put your steak in there. I don't know if it's ten days, thirty days, whatever. Like like you're talking about, get it get it nice and desiccated. Yeah. Is- so, and and here's the other thing I'll throw out for everyone. The other thing you can use is tapioca starch. Apparently, it works better than the corn starch does. So I didn't have tapioca starch. I had corn starch. So that's what I went with. And the wife said, best steak ever. So I'm going to try the tapioca starch next time. Uh, you can't argue with results. There's that. I don't know where in God's name I would get tapioca starch. Um, it's made by like Goya, you know, like the big brand that does the Hispanic food. So it's probably yeah, on yeah. like the Hispanic Mexican food aisle at the grocery store. I bet they'd have yeah, it. I, I love also that, that Goya gets its own section because there's like the ethnic food section. I don't yeah. know about mine says international, but yeah, but then Goya has its own thing beyond right. that. Yeah. So there's international and it's basically like international slash Asian. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an HEB that, I, that I've gone to. I don't know if I sent you the pick and it was like international slash Asian slash British food. And that was that aisle. And then Goya is like, Hey man, we got enough Mexican stuff over here. We can't be we can't be mingling with you guys because you know the Asians are only going to get like a couple shelves and 
the Brits, who know who knows what they're going to do, but the Goyas are like, <laughs> Get a top shelf. we need 30 shelves, guys. We're Goya. We've been around a long time. We they know what we're doing. beans and rice and we spices. Tapi- tapioca, tapioca. Starch. Whatever. <laughs> uh, so I got I to gotta reach out to some chef buddies and find out the real deal on this. I am, I guess, all of that to me sounds new school. I'm old school on mine in terms of prep work on steaks. I feel less is more. I do like ribeyes. I feel like ribeyes are, you know, or if I'm going to, like, I'll do, I'll get a porterhouse for myself and tell the family, like, you get the ribeyes. This is, this is dad steak. Everybody you get the bone. Everybody, yeah, tomahawk. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's a bone in, there's a bone in component on steaks that just, you can't recreate, I don't know, maybe with tapioca, cornstarch, maybe. Um, so I'm old school. I got to get on board with this whole dry rub steak situation, but I mm-hmm. feel because I don't, I don't do the 900 day steak prep. I just do like maybe <laughs> overnight red wine, butter, real deal garlic out of like the garlic jar thing, uh, pepper. Uh, you know me, I'm not a salty guy. I don't put salt on I don't, uh, maybe guacamole. I'll put a little bit of salt, but yeah, so my overnight steak prep is red wine, a good cooking wine, definitely not too sweet, a little on the dry side, uh, not really a Merlot, butter, good good deal. And and See, I guess you and, can go salt to butter. And that's what makes this method great. Literally bought it from the store, pulled it out of the package, covered, rested for 30 minutes on the counter with the cornstarch, and then dust it off, season on the grill. No pre-night i mean this was same day within an hour it was done dry as a bone throw it on the grill yep wow fantastic okay yeah man it's very intriguing it's a lot of that is very counterintuitive to everything that i've been doing in my entire life well yeah now you know the science has caught up to you yeah yeah that happens if if, uh if i'm wrong on this we'll have to mark the mark the state in history the (laughs) other thing i'm gonna throw out to everybody because sean esquire and i are both very anti cooking secrets we don't think that there should be any secrets for cooking there should be no like oh this is my secret family recipe i'm not going to share with this is joy one of the great joys of life is cooking and feeding friends and just enjoying that entire experience and so this should be i'm very very opposed I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there's anything that I'm just like, no, I won't share that information with the world. So um, we're we're very hey we 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 want if, it, if to, it makes your life better, you should know about it. We're here to spread joy. You shouldn't have cooking secrets. This isn't like the Temple of Doom where you have to try to hide some some treasure. Yeah. Uh, but listen up, KFC, with your 55 secret spices or whatever. <laughs> is it seven? I, I is it only seven? I, I, I can't imagine it's I mean, it's not that great. I've had better chicken than KFC. Come on, KFC. You're not you're not the Einstein <laughs> of chicken KFC. Just <laughs> calm down. The oh, the other thing I was gonna say on a marinade is that you can use this uh, Italian Ken's uh, Ken's um, Italian marinade kind of thing. It has a oh, yeah, yeah. Balsamic. Like just, sure. You talking about like, like Italian salad dressing. Yeah, it's an Italian yeah. salad dressing. You could use it as a marinade. I've used that many, many times. I like ground pepper. So I've kind of gotten away from that over the last few years because I try to be a purist with marinades and just try to less is more. But, you know, it works. But now... Now I'm going to tell you no marinade. Try yeah, this method. Got to do, you know, 
dive into the the uh, the cave where you're supposed to come out. Yeah. Ca- counterintuitive. I'm working on working on my eight percent beer. So uh, I'm very intrigued, and just and sake for sake of in, intriguing, uh, I'm I'm going to go with you, Sean Esquire. You have not led me astray on on a lot in life, and so I'll, I will travel <laughs> down this uh, dry stake situation. We'll get into that. So let's put that on towards the top of the follow-up list. Hopefully I can do it in the next week or so. Fantastic. Um, I think it's time for this week in history, Dr. Blom. All right. Not do you have doing a sound any... bit or am I doing a sound bit? We'll do it. We'll do it. Ready? One, two. Let's do it in C. Do it in C. One, two, three, go. I was not flat. I was perfect pitch <laughs> on my end. So high tech, the highest of tech over here. We're As reaching, promised, reaching sorry, back. Ahead. I was gonna say we're going back to what we talked about last. We brought it up last week, and you promised a follow up to our listeners on this topic. Exactly, and that's one thing that you should know on a doctor and lawyer walking to a podcast. Our word is bond. So if we say get ready, we're going to talk about beer for an hour and a half then uh, it's going to happen. We're going to deliver. Even though I have said like 15 times, I'm going to get a Belgian beer. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's, you know, don't get, don't get bogged down in the details. <laughs> we said something, it's going to happen. I apologize again profusely that we've kind of been up and down on our schedule. And so we try to honor this week in history as best we can, but sometimes we go over, we have scheduling conflicts. We got caught up with Memorial Day and uh, Memorial Weekend and everything like that. So Tulsa, May 31, 1921. That's where we're going to start this uh, this particular, this week in history, even though it's a little, little more than a week. This is a massacre. And, oh, boy, I covered... Tulsa, how, Oklahoma. For Tulsa, everyone. Oklahoma, everyone. I don't know if there's another Tulsa uh, out there. So... Yeah, don't get it twisted, everybody. This is not a race riot. This is an absolute massacre. This is one of the worst days of, uh, of American history in a long line of, uh, of horrible, uh, horrible history. This is 57 years, about 57 years after uh, slavery has been abolished. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, they've really built, the, the blacks really built at that time, a black mecca. Uh, in fact, they built also uh, a Black Wall Street, and that was it was termed Black Wall Street from Booker T. Washington. This is a very, you know, um, destructive time in the U.S. Very so. I feel like how much can you push people and push people? Like you can't live here and you can't live there. So, despite Jim Crow and all of the insurmountable odds that Black America had against them that they had said, fine, we'll go to Tulsa and let's just see what happens. And they did tremendous. They really, really made uh, just a cosmopolitan area. Now we're going to Memorial Day. So right before, so May 30th, the day before, May 30th, 1921, the story starts with two teenagers. This is Dick Rowland. He's a 19-year-old black shoeshine guy. And Sarah Page is a 17-year-old white lady elevator operator. So even though the Blacks had made Tulsa uh, a real mecca, they had 
the best surgeon, the best black surgeon, best probably best black doctor in the U.S. at that time, AC AC Jackson. Uh, they had a, a hundred different great things going on at that time. They still had segregation and that the blacks had to use different bathrooms and everything like that. So Dick Rowland, 19 years old, he goes from his job. He can only go to this hotel. This is the, or I'm sorry, this, uh, this building, the Drexler building and the black bathrooms on the third floor that his, his white boss had kind of worked it out with the Drexler folk. And then, so jumps on the elevator, go up to the third floor because that's the only bathroom that this guy can use. Now, this is where things get very ambiguous and something happened that Sarah Page screamed while she was on the elevator with Dick Rowland. There are stories about he stepped on her foot trying to get off and she overreacted. There's also a story about they were involved romantically leading up to this and God knows what happened. So that part remains unclear. But in any event, she did scream. Uh, he was arrested and then uh, taken uh, taken to he's arrested a day later. One of the biggest criminals here, much like today, is the Tulsa Tribune, the press, the local press, the, the mainstream media. Often, have you ever heard of mainstream media throwing <laughs> gas throwing gas on something, or just not giving the real facts or anything like that? Right. This is 1921. They still do this shit to this day. So that's exactly what they did. The Tulsa Tribune. They said the Negro, quote unquote, attacks a white lady is or the code back then was he tore her dress, which was a code for rape. So the locals, the white people lose their minds. Right. There's a there's a mob and they go to the courthouse uh, and basically this is a lynch mob, like flat out. This is a flat out lynch mob. That's what they're there to do. Because Tulsa is what it is, not only do they have a great community of blacks, but they had retired, I say retired, they had um, World War One vets, World War One black vets. So they all roll out to the car, to the courthouse, just trying to keep the peace. So they're trying to keep the peace. They said, hey, you know, this kid is accused of this thing. Let's wait for the trial. Uh, we're not doing, we're not doing a lynch mob. This is ridiculous. Now, once again, this is one of my least favorite phrases whenever we study history, a shot rings out. So mm. a white person shot a black person and then they charge the, the whites charge the, the blacks back into um, their Greenwood district. Now there's two days that the Greenwood district burns. And during that time, the national guard is brought in. And if you are not familiar with this story, then, uh, then you're exactly like I am. I, I first heard about this story. <sighs> if it wasn't before George, George Floyd, it was right after. But I'll play a soundbite regarding one of the local citizens, and this is, this is very, very telling. When I went to OU in 1998, I was sitting in a class of African-American history, and the professor was talking about this place black people had businesses and had money and had doctors and lawyers and he said it was in Tulsa and I, I raised my hand and said no I'm from Tulsa I, that's not accurate and he was talking about this massacre riot I said man what are you talking about I said I went to school on Greenwood I've never heard of this ever 
this is maybe one of the worst conspiracies of silence in the history of the U.S. in terms of just body count and everything. So again, these are people that grew up in that community going off to university and they still didn't know. That's how much that the story had been suppressed and the story had been just a massive, massive cover-up. Sean Esquire and I do not like cover-ups. We want to talk about all history, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. Unfortunately, this is very, very, yeah. very ugly part. I uh, I had to, I actually looked it up too. They said this did not become a part of, I think, the Oklahoma curriculum for schools until 2002, that they started teaching about it. Yeah, and then even then you have to wonder, well, what's their definition of it became a part of? Right. Like how, right. how much did they cover it? Just imagine, you know, any other community dealing with what they had to deal with and then that that type of cover work. Don't don't worry. It only gets worse from here. Two days of Greenwood, the Greenwood district, the black part of town, just burning, just outright burning. And they bring in the National Guard, Sean Esquire, so they're going to take care of everything and there's going to be justice. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. No, they get with they get with the whites and basically protect the whites and the whites. The the whites do looting and robbing of the of the Greenwood district while they're burning. At least it was about thirty five or thirty six city blocks, thirty five city blocks Jeez. destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like all of downtown Austin and then some. Right. Uh. 1200 homes burned and then it and then it just keeps getting worse and worse and like everything that i was learning about i had to take breaks it was just turning my stomach and turning my stomach about the amount of injustice and injustice and everything then the survivors they said oh here you go go live in some tent cities so there's like thousand survivors ten thousand people that lost their homes and their businesses and everything and they had to go live in uh tent cities the town is still pretty divided to this day and another thing I learned in the process of this was that the amount of sheer attacking and, and strategy, like there's murder. And as you know, as a defense attorney, there's murder, there's premeditated murder. And then there's just very, very design. We're going to go out and kill thousands right. of people or hundreds, hundreds of people. Like you can't really, you can't really construct this just That's off the top of your head. Act. It's beyond, yeah. This is one of the biggest domestic terrorist acts in the history of the U.S. And uh, again, I want to give uh, another soundbite from, from 60 Minutes just to give an idea of how horrific this is. Circling and sees roofs of buildings catching fire. And these are from turpentine balls, burning turpentine balls dropped from planes. The first time in American history, uh, the airplanes were used to terrorize America was not a 9-11, was not a Pearl Harbor. It was right here in the Greenwood District. Hmm. This is the 1920s. Like Airplanes are not plentiful. There's, there's no. not like a lot of airplanes out there. The few that they had, they used to destroy this beyond thriving community. Sean Esquire has a defense attorney. How many convictions, arrests, et cetera, do you think came from, from this horrible, horrible massacre? Oh, well, it sounds like the National Guard didn't care about what the white people were doing. So I assume 
they were only arresting minorities, black people. Um, Crick, that that was something like around six hundred, but I'm talking about the real deal, like the the justice, the arrest that the, the arrest that needed to happen. Ish. God, I have no idea. Because I'm sitting here wondering, like, how many people died in this? Yeah, you know, I so got... zero arrests for the people oh, that need okay. to be arrested, right? The sheriff was eventually like they just removed him from duty. God knows how long that took. Um, also, is like insult, injury, insult, injury, 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 insult. Zero insurance company payouts <laughs> to this community that was blatantly attacked blatantly massacred zero arrest zero uh, insurance payouts and then the estimates they can't even give you a decent estimate on, on the amount of people murdered they think it's around 300 and the reason why they i'm telling you man it gets worse and worse the reason why they can't give you good estimates is because there's mass graves that's wow. how many yeah it's like nazi germany like they murdered that many blacks that they said Oh, let's just put them over here. So they have, they have uh, two or three sites out there that they've been doing uh, scientific surveys on that they think this might be a site or this might be a site. So they they are still in this day and age pushing for um, pushing to do the actual forensic science that needs to be done to bring some justice and some uh, some closure to this this horrible horrible massacre. And did, um, uh, sorry, go ahead. So I was gonna say, did did you ever see? Um, were there any follow-up to what actually happened with the guy in the elevator? Correct. Yeah. So it did look, uh, Dick Rowland, there's some rumors about a few places that he died. There was a famous fire in Oregon that they think, but these are old records. So nobody knows for sure. Unfortunately, Dick Rowland and Sarah Page both kind of uh, disappear into obscurity. But the other thing is Sarah, pa Sarah Page, before even leaving town, she she wrote a letter. She was very very direct and said, "I don't want to press press charges." So they arrest this poor kid the next day. And you know, can you even arrest somebody now if nobody wants to press charges? Is that a real thing? Yeah. Um, to not get too in depth on it, like a lot of times in assault cases, um, you can uh, the complaining witness, the victim, can do an affidavit of non prosecution, basically a sworn statement saying. They're not going to hold the county liable, sheriff liable, police, and they don't want to pursue charges. It's still the state of, you know, Oklahoma versus Dick Rowland or, you know, here in Texas, state of Texas versus whoever. So it's always up to the prosecuting attorney, the DA's office, if they still have enough evidence, even if they don't have a complaining witness, if they want to move forward with a case. So, yeah, well, th this is the the key witness the person that was quote-unquote assaulted or whatever else and she said in writing she said no i don't want to press yeah. charges i mean at if, all. She, if she's not there to show up and testify they they don't have a case yeah exactly they never had a case to begin with so they they think they they think that the total death count was something around 300 the other thing that we talked about before is um you know you go down these these rabbit holes you start watching old school youtube videos things like that 1997 the city they put forth a commission to um to uncover the massacre and everything like that. So obviously everyone is dead from them, but there were still survivors back in 1997. You can see the interviews of that. And I saw a number of them. And again, I had to take many, many breaks 
Uh, so those videos are there online and they are gut-wrenching that anyone survived that American soil attacking other Americans and World War I vets. Like how many times throughout the course of the story do you just get like, I can't tell how much am I like I'm just devastated, just sad in general, and like how much I'm just blood is boiling because I I hate any kind of injustice, but an injustice injustice when there's like 100, 200, 300 murders, you read you read that phrase mass grave in America, uh, it's yeah. So the mayor is a guy named G T Bynum, and he's thank God. He's really pushing for uh, looking at these three. They have three sites they think are, are mass graves, and hopefully they're going to make some headway on that sooner rather than later because everyone involves uh, everybody uh, deserves justice. Oh, and I'm I'm sorry that that um, that second uh, soundbite that I played was from a from a reverend that was out there, and uh, I think he's moved on to another congregation, but uh, that was a Reverend Robert Turner. Uh, I saw a number of uh, interviews with him. Just amazing guys, funny dude, smart dude. Uh, it's just one of these guys that's just like a great public speaker, which I guess you have to be to be to be a reverend. Um, in other news this week in history, and I'm going to go more in depth on this later on, but we wanted to touch on it. June fourth, nineteen nineteen, the U.S. Congress passed the Nineteenth Amendment. But that amendment was not ratified until August of 1920. So over a year later, the 19th Amendment, obviously dealing with women's suffrage and the movement to give women the right to vote. Um, So there's a whole thing to unwrap uh, with that. Um, And I I said, we'll bring it up today, but I'm not going to cover it until August uh, when it actually fully fledged, enacted, and uh, I'll cover the, the, the movement behind it. Um, no, I think that's the right thing to do. We want, you don't want to go in with like half the story. You want the whole story. Mm-hmm. So big day, um, obviously, for women's rights. And and uh, we'll get more on that down the road. Way to go, women. You get, you get to vote. So thank you. Thank you for uh, participating in justice. We're, we're very happy for any, any, any and every win for civil rights. I would like to get into something that I'm always excited about in kind of war history. Can I, China Squire? Can I can I get into yes D Day D Day June 6, nineteen forty four. So much, obviously, a lot a lot that goes into this story, and you know, in many regards, obviously, this is uh, this is a happy story, but we it's not without tremendous tremendous loss. So June 6, 1944, just remember that victory over Europe Day, May 8, 1945. So that's the full-on campaign. And there's two real deal opera, well, I'll say two. Let's, say, let's, let's call it three because one of these is just amazing. <laughs> just so good. So three, three real operations here. There's Operation Overlord, Operation Neptune, and then the third one I'm going to I'm going to wait on cuz it's just that that tremendous operation overlord was basically the the large picture allied invasion of northwest europe operation neptune this is the assault phase of operation overlord so 
before all of this, it kind of starts in in Iran of all places. Iran, Iran. Sorry, Texas Iran. accent. Tehran, Tehran, Iran. Actually, mm-hmm. in 1943, the big three they meet: FDR, Stalin, and Churchill. And so they're they're coming together basically to say, "Hey, we gotta we gotta shut down Hitler and everything else." Also, during that time, <laughs> Churchill uh, and FDR, the U.S. And, and the Brits, are getting together and saying, "Hey." Uh, yeah, so the Russians are really kicking ass in terms of killing Germans, so that's good. Um, in some ways, it's the enemy of my enemy, only because they know that when the smoke clears, they're going to have to divide up Europe. So the U.S. and Brits, very, very early on, were like, we got to figure out when things are done. We got to got to divide everything up. Operation Overlord, slash basically the, the D-Day invasion, it's over 600 ships. Some, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> 6,000 ships, close close to 7,000 ships. There's over 160,000 U.S., Brit, uh, and Canadian troops involved. There's a whole backstory leading up to the actual D-Day, which is great, and I encourage everyone to, to check it out. It's entertaining in and of itself. But that being said, one of the, the biggest things to allow, just to allow us to to get to d-day so that d-day would happen is something called operation fortitude this is the <laughs> third operation uh great great names i had sent sean esquire uh links on operation fortitude <laughs> you sent me a youtube clip that was like an hour long <laughs> okay i mean you don't have to watch the whole thing so when you when you go down we'd like hey i'm gonna check out uh d-day uh this is one of the the best rabbit holes couple rabbit holes in d-day obviously Operation Fortitude, probably my favorite rabbit hole in this. So the Germans know that there is a massive attack coming. The Germans like, hey, I think we pissed off the entire world, just like we did, just like we did for World War One. Probably uh, the shit's gonna hit the fan soon. So the Germans know there's a massive, a massive um, counterattack that's coming. This is, you know, France has already been fighting the war for a good four years. Uh, the Brits have been at it for four or five years, everything else. So Operation Fortitude is so great, it wasn't even revealed until 1969. So the Wait, biggest thing... Oh, yeah, go ahead. 1969. It was revealed. This is oh, this okay. is like secret, secret spy stuff, right? So Operation Fortitude, uh, the whole point of it is they have to get the Germans to go north up to this place called Paste Calas or Calais. They they want to get to Normandy. That's going to be the attack site. So they got to do this smoke and mirrors thing. Get the Germans to look where we're not going to land because if they're if they're concentrating their efforts where we're going to land, it's not going to go well at all. So Operation Fortitude is a fake army. Sean Esquire. This is this is amazing this is a dummy army this is a fake army they want to build it up in the southeast england area and so they they kind of start the idea november 1943 d-day june 6 1944 not a lot of time from the time they said oh we should probably do this what they do brilliant they said all right let's reach out to the macy day parade people and we'll get them to make a bunch of balloons a bunch of balloons hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of balloons. And uh, these balloons are going to be tanks and airplanes and all kinds of stuff. And we'll just, we'll set up this fake base in, uh, in this part of England 
and then that'll get Germany's attention, and then we'll be able to invade Normandy. They didn't start production until February, so production on these balloons starts in February. June 6th is coming, everybody. Crunch time. Thank God the New York Macy's Day Parade (laughs) balloon people crank these things out, right? Within three weeks, they're already sending these uh, balloons over <laughs> to Kent, to Kent, England, and they said, uh, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna need how much of this subterfuge thing, this this uh, fake army? Do we need forty divisions?" <laughs> wow! Yeah, that's around a million men. By the way, that's the extent that they <laughs> that they just crank out all of these fake balloons. So this, these balloons, they look like tanks. They look like Sherman tanks. They look like airplanes. They look like full-on uh, Navy vessels, all of this. One of the local farmers saw four soldiers carrying a Sherman tank. It was, <laughs> was like, oh, my God. These guys are strong. Gonna, I don't think we're going to lose the war. We got four dudes carrying one Sherman tank. It was insane. The 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 way they pulled it off, the amount they pulled it off, all of it, very detailed, very, very, very detailed. They, uh, they laid down train, uh, tank tracks and things like that, but that's not enough in and of itself. Oh, by the way, the, the name of this whole secret base thing, FUSAG, F-U-S-A-G. This is the, stands for first U S army group. F-U-S-A-G. F-U-S-A-G, right? FUSAG. So it's not enough that they build all of these hundreds and hundreds of balloons and they do all this. They they need the uh, the propaganda. Without propaganda, there's just a base over there and the Germans are just flying over it going, who knows? So they bring in, they roll out the dude. They roll out the Eddie Van Halen of World War II, none other than General S. Patton. Mm. They roll out Patton because he has notoriety everywhere he goes. There's cameras and he's just one of those dudes. And he's, you know, he's old school army guy. He's like, yeah, whatever the war effort needs, I'm going to do it. Even though he's a legitimate general guy and he's just crushed, crushed uh, Germans and everyone else all over the world. So now they have General Patton. Tell, tell me there's a clip of Patton talking to a bunch of inflatable men standing in front of a bunch of inflatable tanks. There's a, there's a clip of Patton doing the quote unquote inspection that they had quote unquote leaked to the press just going mm-hmm. around. And so I don't know if he's like kicking the tires of fake tanks and things like that. By the way, also you can get on you can get on YouTube and look at the footage of Operation Fortitude with all of the balloon tanks and everything. So funny, like amazing. Number one and number two, it's hilarious just to see. But also you're like, oh wow, Normandy would have never happened without this at all. So now they have General Patton on board. And he does his part, and they leak it to the press and everything. So the Germans are like, you know what? This is probably legit. There's an unsung hero in World War II from Spain. His name is Juan Pujol. He has his own story. He's about 24 years old. He saw the Spanish Civil War. He decides he hates Germany. He hates he hates oppressors. He hates uh, you know anyone that is uh, that is attacking innocent people. Big big backstory on this guy. He, he basically he became a double agent. Only became a double agent so he could convince the the Brits and the war effort, hey, I'm a good guy. Goes over to Germany. He's quote unquote spies for them. Anyway, this guy works day and night to put out these false reports and false reports and false reports about, hey, they're building uh, this uh, base over there and Patton is the guy and they're going to attack. They're going to attack way over here. Definitely not Normandy. They're going to attack way over here on on the on the north side up there in uh, Poste, 
Calais. So because of Patton, Juan, Pujol, and the Macy's Day balloon-making people that Normandy was able to happen. They they had other things too, like they they built one of the first supercomputers. <laughs> see the see the YouTube of this supercomputer. It's hilarious. It's probably like 0.00001 gigabyte. So all of all of those things had to happen in order for Normandy to happen. Now we now we have Normandy finally, and Normandy right out of the gates, kind of a shit show. <laughs> So, you know, you have all these different units rolling in. The paratroopers, they they it didn't go well for them. The paratroopers were like over 23,000 paratroopers. Some of them they bailed out too high, some of them bailed out too low. If you bail out too high, then you just got get gunned down by the Germans. If you bail out too low, then you just shatter your legs and your spine. So, oh, okay. there was That's all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of that happening. And then they have so this is all the the preemptive strike right before the actual June 6 Normandy. They had the whole fiasco with the paratroopers and then they did the bombardment. They're like, "Well, let's do the bombardment and then uh that'll clear a lot of the way for the infantry." Except for the fact that the bombardment uh they end up hitting a lot a lot of French civilian sites, French civilian buildings. Who knows how many people they 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 killed. So this is all leading up into June 6. Now, June 6th, we have five beaches. Uh, I always forget like two or three of the beaches. Sean Esquire, do you know all five beaches of Normandy? It's, no it's like the five five Great Lakes. I always have to look up the last two. No idea. Okay. Uh, Utah, that's the most western one. We'll go western or eastern. Utah, we had 23,000 troops and about 200 died. Omaha is the one. This is the largest beach. It was dubbed Bloody Omaha. This is the one that Saving Private Ryan is based on. Great this is movie. like, yeah. Oh, oh my God. Excellent movie. And then obviously like the first 20 minutes of the movie, excellent as well. I read that a lot of World War II vets are not able to watch the first part of that movie because it's way too accurate and they just, they step out and they're like, I don't want to watch any of that. That's, that's how amazing uh, Spielberg, Spielberg, is that right? Yes. Probably Spielberg. It was. We, we have Gold Beach, so Utah Beach is U.S., Omaha Beach is U- U.S., uh, Gold Beach is the Brits. There's 25,000 troops, 400 casualties. Juno Beach is Canada and the Brits. This is uh, around 21,000 troops and something like 1,200 injured. We don't have great casualty numbers on Juno Beach. Sword Beach is France and the Brits. The Sword Beach is the most eastern one looking at 29,000 men, 630 casualties. So when they finally get to the beach and it's D-Day, how much space between the beach itself and the Germans do you think? By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, the beach, there's no trenches. (laughs) It's just open beach. You just get out of the thing, right? Yeah, they just have this giant uh, steel like spike, Uh like the jacks for to stop the boats, right? So the 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 drop the drop boats. Yeah, Yeah, insane. So just remember, even though the U.S. was able to do this great spy plan and they got Germany to focus on the northern part, the that it wasn't like the Germans were completely ill-prepared. This is not a, uh, we're just, we're just going to show up and kick ass kind of battle at all. The Germans had these MP42 machine guns firing uh, around 20 bullets per second. So those those drop ships that you see from Saving Private Ryan, where they just they like a garage door and and then they they run out, 
those things would carry around 35 troops, 35 U.S. troops, 35 troops, the, the landing craft. So the guns, the MP42s from the Germans could really take out an entire landing craft of troops in about four seconds wow. to kill all of the yeah, 20, 20 bullets per second. You could take out the entire landing craft in about four seconds. So this was no, this was no cakewalk by any stretch of the imagination between the beach and getting up to the Germans. That's 300 yards, three, three, three football fields just to, with no trenches. This is open beach, open beach, just swarms and swarms of swarms of, of troops versus these, uh, these uh, machine guns just spitting out 20 rounds per second. So many, 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 many levels of bloodbath. They finally get to the, past those 300 yards, whoever, whoever could make it. Now they have a 15 foot wall to get up. So a lot of the, um, a lot of the things that you saw from, from saving private Ryan, let me pull up one of the, uh, one of the, our great American hero soldiers commenting on that historic day. We had three options. Stay on the beach and die. Fight wounded. Well, surrender the beach to the Germans. Surrender was not a word pointing out the vision picture. So most of us fought wounded. That was Harold Baum. Um, I apologize for butchering his name. Harold Baum Garten, B A U M G A R T E N. He's from the, he was from the 29th Infantry, uh, talking about just the overall brutality and everything that they had to overcome to get to make Normandy, to make freedom happen. All of it. They, they get past these 300 yards. Like he said, most of them had been wounded and then they get to the foot 15, uh, 15 wall. And like on saving private Ryan, they have to, have to flank them, everything like that. Uh, and then they do all of that and they still have another 20 miles to go inland. So you think of Normandy, you think about that that scene in, in Saving Private Ryan. But even once they do that and they take the beachhead, the casualties after all of that are 10 times more. So those 20, those 20 miles of going inland, the casualties were 10 times more than the actual, uh, actual D-Day itself. So the U.S. lost 29,000, something like at least 100,000 were wounded or missing. The Brits lost 11,000 killed. Something like fifty-four thousand were wounded and missing. Canada uh, lost five thousand. Five thousand killed. Around thirteen thousand were wounded and missing. France lost uh, twelve thousand civilians killed or missing. And then we have Germany lost thirty thousand killed. Around eighty thousand missing. Uh, around uh, another uh, two hundred and ten thousand supposedly a wounded missing sort of thing from the German, the German numbers are, are not the best in the world. So one of the good things that came out of this, other than the fact of winning world war two, go USA, go Brits, go Canada, go France was that when the, when the U S finally got to, uh, to the objective, because there were, uh, the, the big objectives of, of the entire invasion was, they get the paratroopers in the paratroopers in they they get they land on secure the beaches uh then they they got to get the beach forces to link up with the paratroopers 
then bring in reinforcements and supplies, which was an insane, insane number of, um, it was like 500 tons worth of supplies, 500,000 tons worth of supplies, bring in reinforcements and then fight the fight through the German held, uh, country counties. Then eventually fight, uh, link up all the allied beaches into a single beach. And number seven, the final aspect was capture St. Lo. So once they finally, finally got to St. Lo, the France was, uh, French were very excited that we were there. And eventually there was over 6,000 French U S uh, marriages that came from the French people. Well, the U S troops, they were really great. They were, they loved, they loved being in France. France loved having us there. And they had all these events where the U S was like, Hey, uh, let's bring out the French ladies because um, you know, a lot of us died. So roll out. And then U S said, Hey, French dudes, you can't come to our event. (laughs) That's what they did. It was a, a real thing that happened. So one of my favorite days in history ever, D-Day, a lot of people died, a lot, a lot of bloodshed so that we could save Europe from, from the Nazis and save the world in general. Fantastic. Oh, and then, uh, sorry, uh, last part. Oh, the Overlord uh, mission, it went all the way to August the 9th, uh, August the 19th. And so they, they marked that with when the troops were finally crossing the River Serene. S-E-I-N-E, which we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that in August. So yeah, great day for anyone that loves freedom and hates Nazis. The two best rabbit holes here, any, anytime you do any major historical event, there's going to be a rabbit hole, two, three rabbit holes. Sometimes it's just the character. In this particular case, Operation Fortitude, check it out, watch the clips, really funny but amazing also i mean how many thousands and thousands of lives were saved because of macy day macy day parade balloons try saying that sean esquire after your 10 percent beer so <laughs> on the uh on the i think it was the utah beach the oldest man on the entire invasion like rolling into the invasion sean esquire how old was the oldest dude the oldest soldier guy rolling into battle on that day this is 1940s. Six, 63. It's pretty generous for back then. You know, people didn't live that long back then. We're looking at a we're looking at a 56 year old man, oh. and so this is the oldest man rolling into battle. Like we talked about earlier, was a U.S. guy or yeah, oh, Canadian, yeah, yeah, yeah. French? Well, yes, oh, absolutely. Yes. U.S. USA all the way. I, who knows the other people? I'm I'm gonna say he was the oldest. So. Um, Many, many things went wrong leading up to it. The, the paratroopers had problems. The, I guess the spotters or the guys going in before the paratroopers, that didn't work out great. The bombardment didn't work out great. Like, sorry, France, a lot of civilian sites were taken out. Many, many things. And then they were waiting on weather reports and all these other things. The tide was down, so they had like 300 yards to run versus whatever else. <clears throat> and the sea was horrible. People were throwing up left and right. But so when they landed on the Utah beach, this is the most Western um, front, there was a lot of confusion. Uh, Obviously, a lot was going on. And then one man who is the oldest guy on on attack day that we know of, he's definitely the ranking, the highest ranking. All the other generals were like, hey, 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 um, yeah, yeah. All the other generals were like, hey, I got to I got to hang back. I got to do general shit. I can't storm the beach. That's ridiculous. I'm a general. And so not this guy. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> he was like, I am definitely storming the beach. This gentleman's name, American hero, 
standing ovation and multiple salutes. Teddy Roosevelt Jr., also known as Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt III. Yes. The Roosevelt family, can I say, kick-ass family, like kicking a lot of ass, World War I. Literally kicking like, ass. Just, just, just gunning down bad people left and right, World War I, World War II, just all kinds. So one of my favorite rabbit holes on this, like we talked about Monty at the sur- surrender for World War II. This is Teddy Roosevelt Jr., also known as Teddy Roosevelt the third oldest son of Teddy Roosevelt and former governor, uh, Teddy Roosevelt third, f- former governor of Puerto Rico, former governor slash general <laughs> of the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, he did a lot. So he rolls in and there's mass confusion on the Utah beach invasion. And he famously says, Hey everybody. Hey, just relax. But so bombs are going off. People are fl- freaking out. He's like, we'll start the war right here. Uh, yeah. And because he's 56, he rolls into battle with a cane and a sidearm. So he had he had horrible arthritis. There's a whole backstory on Teddy Roosevelt the third, Teddy Roosevelt Jr. that uh, his wife had to write the guy, the leader guy, and say, "Hey, put him in, put him in battle." And then he insisted on, "I want to go into battle, into battle." And then his friend, who was another commanding officer, was like, we'll never see each other again. You're going to die. I mean, you're you're 56. You have arthritis. You have a cane. Oh, you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. So when the other, when his friend, leader guy, shows up on the beach and there's Teddy Roosevelt III with his cane and his sidearm and, uh, you know, a bunch of bodies around him, he's like, still alive. The guy was thrilled like beyond i have to imagine they were like crying and they didn't hug back then because they were men you know they just like i wish they'd have had him in uh in the movie yeah oh my god yes and okay post postscript postscript and then i promise we'll move on teddy rose teddy roosevelt the third dies a month later in france sean esquire from from the war right because he'd walk around with a cane and shooting people uh, probably drank too much wine. Just, just uh, died in a hot tub full of hookers and cocaine. No, he he, he had a he had a heart attack more or less in his sleep, uh, and then his son Quentin also was at Normandy. So there's that. So a lot there. I just love Teddy Roosevelt family. Teddy Roosevelt Jr. Oldest dude, arthritis. Oh, by the way, the reason why he died a month later in France was a heart attack that he had hidden from the army that he had medical problems going in. So he just wanted to go do his part. He wanted to go kill Nazis and he didn't want to be slowed down. And they said, Hey man, you know, you've done your part in world war one. If you look at his record, you don't have to roll into battle, man. (laughs) We've got, we've got 19 year old, literally 18, 19 year old kids that are going to do that. He's like, Nope, I'm going to go in. And then when I get there, there's going to be melee and no one's going to know what to do. And I'll say, We'll start the war right here. He probably had like a cigar in his mouth and like, you know, mm-hmm. like a girl on each arm for some reason. I don't know. He brought them into battle. So the Germans yeah. didn't know what to think because he had a cane. They were just they were like, like, oh, man. This yeah. Is he a chaplain? We don't know. Ha- handicap man. Do we shoot him? I. He's just like ripping and the then throats. He just dirty hairy. <laughs> ripping the throats out of Nazis. Right. Even though he has a sidearm mm-hmm. like a like a ninja warrior. Just walking He's around, just beating yeah. him off with this cane. Just... So Rose- Roosevelt family, holy mackerel! Yeah, he lived. He made he made it, and then died a month <laughs> later from died. a heart attack because he hid the fact that he had heart disease. So, yeah, amazing, amazing, amazing. Interesting. Yeah. 
Go ahead um, with your with your dumb follow up. What are you going to do? The history of uh... God, history. June fifth, nineteen sixty eight. John F. Kennedy. No, Robert yes. F. Kennedy. Okay, was assassinated. No, that competes with with D Day. I think so. I mean, it's See, it's only one di- one guy died. I mean, like you know, thousands just, yeah. of people died in my story. But go go. I mean, go ahead. It's go. It's just, important. Just so everyone just so everyone knows, Doctor Blom and I talked during the week about what we're going to cover. And he sends me, oh, Kennedy assassination. I'm like, oh, awesome. I got this mm-hmm. Dallas right. in a in a convertible. It's like down <laughs> the street from where I'm at. And Blom's like, no, no, no. Ron Kennedy. Ron not, Kennedy. Probably not, Ron Kennedy. Ron Kennedy. Yes. <laughs> Our dog? Robert. Uh, <laughs> He was a senator. History has no he, idea what happened to Ronald Kennedy. <laughs> he started the McDonald's group. Um, but Robert F. Kennedy, he was a U.S. senator. He was running for United States president. He actually won uh, the 1968 Democratic Party presidential primaries in California and South Dakota. And on June 4th, he was addressing his campaign supporters at the Ambassador Hotel's Embassy Ballroom. After he left the podium, exiting through the kitchen hallway, he was wounded by multiple shots fired by Sirhan Sirhan, um, which I thought was it. he was shot with a 22 revolver, which revolvers typically only have six shots, Dr. Baum. Is it six or eight? back then uh i mean it could have been eight i guess so one of but... the one of the things that that i had sent you i was like hey make sure to check this out don't don't ignore my text please the, the... and i did <laughs> right exactly <laughs> uh i think they found 13 bullet holes or 13 whatever and he's got a he's got an old school 22 by the way very hard to kill someone with a 22 from i mean you got to be like on top of them that's like a little bit better than a bb gun a 22 yeah, and to shoot, well, you said thirteen bullet holes. He would have had to reload really fast. <laughs> yeah, there was no, there was no reloading there. So many, many things. This maybe, was, uh... and he had two of them. <laughs> he, he wasn't One rolling. On each hit. He wasn't rolling in there, John Wick style, just taking <laughs> with twenty twos. If you're rolling in there, you know, double with the both guns a blasting. John Wick. When was the last time John Wick rolled into battle with two twenty twos? <laughs> be a very short, so, short movie. There's um, so this assassination actually prompted a change in the Secret Service that they would now be uh, the Secret Service details would be given to presidential candidates. So even though they might not be president yet, we still have an obligation to protect those running for a presidential office. So that was a a big change for the Secret Service and how I'm they sure they love that. It. Like, oh, we have even more people to protect, especially now when you've got so many running in like the Republican primary group. Like, does that mean like the weird? I say the weird as as a person who is a huge libertarian fan. Does that include the highly unlikely electable libertarian person? Yeah, that is, all, no, all of them. All of they them get protection. Wow. Yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, last time, I don't know, it was like 16, there was like Newt, Newt Greenrich and... Uh, Newt Greenrich? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, tertiary players that you're like, you're not going to win. And they just get a security... They get, they get their protection. Yeah. And then the day that it comes out that they don't have a snowball's chance in hell, then they're like, security's like, we're out of here. They just walk away. 
I guess once they drop out of the race, yeah. Right. Like the moment security, I mean, security detail, they have access to CNN and Fox and everything. So they're just sitting around like they have this bullshit candidate who has, (laughs) he has no chance of winning. Uh, There was that guy way back in the day that was like stage diving. And then so they're just sitting around like smoking cigarettes and and they said, okay, when they make the official announcement, we're out of here. That like right. at, at some point they're just showing up to work with like jeans and a t-shirt like all right let's, let's wrap it and, up and like any good um assassination there's some conspiracy theories out there of there was a woman in a polka dot dress that had been seen in multiple photos at the event they think that was she one of the shooters because there's this whole theory that there was a second shooter which kind of makes sense if he's got 13 bullet holes and he got shot with a revolver unless he got a second revolver or reloaded it would only make sense that there was another shooter so one of them was a woman in a polka dot dress one was a security guard at the hotel um but the sirhan sirhan suspect i mean he owned up to it he admitted to it uh he was actually convicted he was given the death penalty that was overturned he was given a life sentence And I think I read he had, it was life sentence with eligibility of parole. And he has gone to the parole board like 17 times and been denied every time. So he's still in prison. I I read that he actually had one parole that had not, uh, that had been approved. They said, oh, we're going to parole this guy. Or we're thinking about the parole. We're going to, we're going to grease those wheels. And none other than California Gal is it Gavin? Yeah, Gavin Newsom. Newsom. Yeah, yeah. That he shut it down. And he said, "Nope, you're gonna spend the spend your whole uh, spend your whole life in jail." There. That's fairly recent in the last year or so. I'm. And that's how it should be. You kill a presidential candidate, mm-hmm. like, no, you're done. You like... kill. Them. Okay. What if you just wing them like with a bullet? Then you eventually you get out. No, I think you still you're done. Okay. I mean, the reason why I ask that is because John Hinckley Jr., I think he's out either. He, I mean, he's, he's essentially out the dude that shot Reagan. Hmm. Right. Oh. And well, don't, don't forget. I mean, it's not like he just shot Reagan. He, he shot Brady. I think Brady ended up in a wheelchair. That's where we got the, the Brady gun law. And so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get to Hinckley one day, but Hinckley, not, not Tom Brady, not Tom Brady. We'll have to see if Brady Brady is connected to Tom Brady. A lot of things are connected. But the dude that shot Reagan, uh, Hinckley, that, which, by the way, a lot of conspiracy theory there with his connection to the Reagan family and the Bush family and whatever else, uh, he is not in a maximum security whatever. He's either – I don't think that he's out and out, like buying groceries at the store. He's like, hey, everybody, I shot Reagan. Uh, he's at like a very minimal security. You can also – you can uh, you can just like uh, download video of him like playing his music and stuff. Hmm. John Hinckley, yeah, he, he just plays plays guitar. Interesting. So, all right, I'm gonna take a quick break and then we're, we're gonna wrap up some uh, RFK stuff. Uh, be uh, be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, back from break, we do have a soundbite teed up now from the kennedy assassination um not john robert um dr blom if you will this is rfk jr this is son of robert f kennedy 
uh, who was murdered in L.A. Whenever Sean said it was, it was in the 60s. Kennedy tells the Post he spent three hours visiting Sirhan in prison late last year after researching his father's assassination for months. I got to a place where I had to see Sirhan. I went there because I was curious and disturbed by what I had seen in the evidence. Kennedy did not reveal what they talked about, but he came away convinced Sirhan did not kill his father. Hmm. 13 shots. There's been a lot of analysis that had been fired that day. And Sirhan Sirhan's little 22, only, only possible eight shots. He was super fast on the reload. Yeah, definitely did not go in there John Wick style. I, I still say no. Did they say if there was a second gun that he had? No, I don't think there was a second gun that he had. They did say that the initial reports that was that he had no recollection of any of it whatsoever. So as oh as, Manchurian as, candidate. As, oh, there we go. Oh, you do it. You do the plug there. Okay, I don't get to right. I'll set him up. You knock him down. Okay, that's fine. Oh, that's good. Right. Yeah. So so there had been a lot of discussion back then. Remember, this is in the sixties. So in the sixties, CIA was doing crazy stuff like LSD. Uh, MK Ultra, right? They were subjecting these crazy, this crazy smart scientists to LSD and everything. Like true serums. So it's not, it's not beyond reality that uh, China was doing the same thing. So this guy Saran Saran has supposedly no recollection of that of that day. Maybe was a, a Manchurian candidate, and also, regardless of that, here's two things. Again mainstream mainstream media is not going to give you this so jfk assassination which which is not you know this is not the the la part oswald's behind jfk's in the the book depository the kill shot jfk came from front a thousand percent i don't no one no one can ever debate that so kill shot jfk came from the front shooter is behind jfk Kill shot for Robert F. Kennedy is from behind. Saran Saran is in front of him. So mm. again, I'm not buying it. I'm not Unless buying. He, I'm not buying the the full story. I'm not saying did he did, ricochet yeah. the bullets off the wall. Yeah, there's a movie like that. I think with the Angelina Jolie, and they make the bullets bounce bounce around or whatever. So, uh, okay. yeah, I, I'm not buying the official story. I don't. I definitely, definitely, definitely do not buy the official JFK story. And then you get into the bigger picture, like why was the government so dead set on taking out the Kennedy boys? And then they had uh, Robert Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy. Can you pronounce the little town where the car went into the water? Quidditch. Quidditch. That's what they play in Harry Potter. He drove the car off the bridge or whatever, and he had the mistress lady in there, and then she died. He was like, uh, you know, it was like succession now that I think about it. Anyway. Never saw it. There was a Because <laughs> you're dumb. You're, d- <laughs> you're dumb cruise story. Your cruise reality show. It's not a bad show. So, yeah. Something happened back in the 60s that there was a concerted effort from the United States government, the CIA, and special secret killer guys that were like, we got to take out these Kennedy guys. And some of them were murdered. Some of them they took out via Chappaquiddick. Uh, oh, there you go. Nailed it. Yeah. That's what I said. I think the first time 
anyway. cause negligent operation by Ted Kennedy. So uh, yeah, Robert F. Kennedy's kid doesn't even believe the official story. Like how many people do you need to say uh, this is BS before you find it? And also Saran Saran, last I checked a couple days ago, still alive. You can, yeah. I mean, let's pull him out of that jail. Let's pull off some, uh, some fingernails. Let's, uh, you know, let's Guantanamo this guy, get the real story there. No, there you go. I mean, I'm just trying to respect America. Um, anything further on history week, Dr. Bob? No, 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 no. We, we, we had a lot done there. I'm just going to say it's Robert F. Kennedy was, was killed by, uh, you know, the I same know. guys that killed JFK. Oh, all right. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. Current events. I got two things here. One, I didn't put on the show list because it just happened. It was breaking as of this weekend. Mm. The Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski died in prison. Oh, wow. No, no, no. I don't, I don't know this one. Like yeah, uh, th- day, two days, 80, three, three days, 80, 81 years old. They found him unconscious in his prison cell, mm-hmm. took him to the hospital, pronounced dead there today. Um, was it today or was it yesterday? No, I know. I'm, as- I'm asking you, you're giving, you're giving me the breaking news. Oh, well it happened. I know that. <laughs> um, oh no, he died June 10th. It was yesterday. Okay. No, that's, that's pretty breaking as far as podcasts which, go. Which yeah. if you haven't seen it, uh, the show Manhunter on Netflix, it's like a docudrama mini series of them tracking down Ted Kaczynski back yeah. when the whole, uh, bombings were going on and how they tracked him to this, you know, cabin in the woods, uh, pretty good series i think it's like a 10 part series or each like 45 minutes to an hour that's the one like it's just him it's not the uh like the fbi guys i'm thinking of it's mine, the fbi guy mine hunter mine hunters is the right. FBI. fbi guys going right. after serial killers 60s 70s right uh, Charlie, man Charlie hunter Manson, right is is like a docudrama i mean from the fbi perspective maybe How i mean there's at least one gay porn called Manhunter. i I would hope so. <laughs> is that a is that a gimme? Is that one of those things? <laughs> like, I bet you um, the the gay the gay uh, lawyer guys are like, oh, we got the rights on Manhunter, and then Netflix was like, well, we want to do Manhunter, but it's Ted about K- Ted Kaczynski, and they're like, that's fine, but you have to give us residuals, and they're like, okay, that's worth it. So good, good, so that, good on you, Manhunters. That, um, other big current event. Uh, which I just found this interesting. Apparently there was a plane crash in the Amazon jungle like 40 days ago or over a month ago. I mean, that's not current events, but go ahead. And um, all the adults, so I guess the pilot parents died. There were four kids that were missing from the plane wreck. And after over 40 days, all four of the kids were found alive in the Amazon jungle. Um, they were 13 years old, nine, four, and a infant. Oh, um, wow. this is very, uh, this is very Lord of the Flies sort of thing. They survived by eating cassava flour and they were from the Amazon. It says their indigenous origins allowed them to have certain immunity against diseases in the jungle. And they had a good knowledge of the jungle, how to get water, how to, you know, make sure that you what you're eating is not going to kill you or but yeah survived native, over a month native amazonians go down in a plane 
why are they on a plane? And then they survived the Amazon. Is that right? They, well, yeah, they probably didn't know how to fly real well because they're from the Amazon. I mean, was the pilot an Amazonian dude or? I have no idea. He like, died. <laughs> I'm going to guess that the pilot was a pilot guy and not like he won. They built the a plane in the Amazon. <laughs> oh, and okay. Tried, and tried right? to fly it. Right. It I mean, it goes down. Because they try to power it with coal, they got to coal technology, I'm, and they're just you know, like, "Oh, let's I'll burn do a coal." Follow up on That'll... this, so I, I have more facts. I feel for like next you week. should probably do a follow up on this. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot going on here. I don't know why uh, you you were just you were impressed with the Lord of the Lord of the Fly situation I, that was I'm going. I'm surprised on. they made it out. That's impressive. Right. No, no, I get it. Uh, but I mean, if they're alive indigenous and lucid. Um. <laughs> yeah. Own. I have my own theories, but you need to. You know, I'll, I'll bring it up. Here, here's another story that I know very little about. <laughs> there was a, this goes into conspiracy. Let's talk Apparently, about stuff that we haven't read. Go, let's do it. There was a UFO crash in Las Vegas. Oh no, I know this one. <laughs> and some guy calls nine one one and says there's like a eight to ten foot green thing in his backyard. <sighs> now. I don't know if that happened. We're in the age of phones and ring doorbells. Did we're nothing the, catch? I mean, we're in the age of that. This guy is like eating mushrooms and he's like, I saw some <laughs> stuff. I'm in the backyard. And it's probably aliens. That's so, right. No, I, I don't. Uh, did you hear about this? I did. I didn't really uh, check it out. I was much more interested. You didn't believe in, him. No, I'm not very inclined to believe him. I'm much more interested in the Pentagon leaks and everything that's coming out about legitimate UFO sightings and that uh, multiple air forces. I Oh, yeah, they've got uh, a collection Jer- system. Jerusalem Air Force, uh, Canadian Air Force, Mexican Air Force. And none of this is particularly new, new, new. Uh, they, they've been... Uh, chasing ufos and have everything uh documented and so again we've covered this before and this is going to be a uh we we called it very very soon a lot of people hate trump and trump laid down uh space force right i have never i have never ever heard a single democrat or anyone else say we got to get rid of space force this was dumb this was a trump thing so obviously it's been established and it's still going and it's still getting funding. And so that means there's a legitimate threat from space that both Democrats and Republicans have said, we have to put money into this program. Absolutely. Is it an asteroid? Statistically speaking, probably. I mean, there's been five major extinction events on the earth that we know of. And maybe one of those was micro microbiological. I'm going to guess it's the um, the Empire and mm-hmm. the Space Force is building the USS right. Enterprise to go after <laughs> the Empire. Why don't you stop saying words right now? That's all the all the words you're upsetting. <laughs> you're upsetting. Hey, fan base, all of our super super nerd fan base. I'm sorry on behalf of, of Sean Esquire. You know what? He is here to prop up the sports agenda all kinds of other things <laughs> i mean outside of baseball where everybody loves baseball but uh i'm sorry this is the same gentleman who uh, who i love like a brother but he very very upsets me sometimes he's <laughs> like he'll do the spock sign that dumb thing spock does and then he'll and then he'll mention darth vader immediately and i'm like no you need don't need 
don't need to do that. Please stop doing that. It's very, very, very <laughs> offensive on so many levels. So uh, yes, there is a real threat from space. Obviously, there's billions of dollars of funding from both sides of the aisle going into it. And what it is exactly, could you could you could debate it, but how many different Air Force agencies, Mexico, Israel, Canada, whatever, do you need before you say, oh, I don't think all of these people are lying. And by the way, I know there's super nerds, super, super nerds like Neil Tyson de Gracia, like, oh, if there was aliens here, somebody would get it on their phone. They would capture it. <laughs> they don't think they have that technology, man. Have you seen Predator? That they don't have to be captured on a stupid phone from stupid yeah, humans. Yeah, and, right. and Predator, that was 1980s technology. <laughs> So I love that you immediately get super pumped about Predator, like the real one with Arnold, right? Yeah. 40 years ago, the guy could go invisible. What do you think they can do now? Oh, man. Don't don't say that was 40 years ago. Was Predator 40 years ago? Ouch, that hurts. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be close. I right? mean, exactly. I mean, okay. Yeah. But conversely, conversely, like maybe the aliens were doing that thousands and thousands of years ago. Probably. I bet you. Uh, the U.S. got on board. I mean, we split the atom in the 40s, man. I mean, you think we're yeah. like crazy, crazy behind? Regular behind. My, okay. My thinking is maybe maybe the aliens have come here, but then they're like, I can't breathe oxygen because they breathe some weird gas and they just don't survive very long outside their spacecraft. Well, you know, the... filled with their alien air. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we have a greenhouse and we've we've had a bunch of cars since they started the smogs got to them yeah they don't hang out in la at all <laughs> or the Probably. canada with the wildfires that's, that's exactly right yeah they need they need the good clean air of oregon or they're just hanging out seeing it out in in very they're, uh, they're the ones friendly. running your wineries you keep talking about <laughs> yes that makes sense absolutely it's delicious so China Squire, I'm going to take a quick break and then I think we'll we'll come back for closing thoughts unless you have anything. But again, I want everyone to tee all of this up because there's going to be some uh, China Squire. We're not calling it. Uh, we told you so. Just saying it. Uh, we call it. We call right. it. That's the name. Yeah. Okay. Quick. Quick break. Are we going to Are we going to have our special guest on? We next? are going to have our first our first real guest for okay. her, for quick hi and goodbye. And in the meantime, uh, China Squire, I challenge you. Uh, to, to be a man and have three 10% beers uh, on this break. And then, and okay. then the show, will be the, a, then the show tell, will be the best ever. You can tell her it's about to be a 30 minute Q and a session. Make sure that <laughs> so, beer is out. So I can ask her so, how you pronounce it. It's going to be laughing and crying everything. Okay. Quick, quick break. <laughs> so it's been a great week. It's been a great month. And, but unfortunately, I am saying goodbye to our two exchange students. We have, uh, I've mentioned them a few times. We have one from Italy and one from France. And uh, in closing, I'm just going to say, uh, what was your favorite part of the U.S.? We're going to start with Italy. Please introduce yourself. Say hi. Hi. Where are you from? Italy. Good. Okay, great. <laughs> and and name? Aurora. Okay. Is it an island? Are you from an island? I'm from Sardinia. Okay, great. I heard I heard good things about Sardinia. Favorite thing about the U.S.? Mexican food. Mexican food. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, good choice, absolutely. And we have we have both girls going back tomorrow 
uh, and we've loved having them very much. So this is from France. And who are you? What part of France are you from? I'm Apolline, and I'm from Champagne. Real deal Champagne, dude. Where Champagne comes from. And your favorite part of U.S.? The prom at school. The prom at school. Okay. Okay. Sean, did you love your prom? Uh, I did. Um, what are they? What are they gonna miss most about Texas or the United States? The prom and Mexican food. That's what they're gonna miss most. Those are good choices. I think are they those gonna are come great. back. You're gonna come back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. they're gonna come back for sure. Yeah. Good I mean, choice. how long would you be away from Mexican food? I can't be away from Mexican food for a week. I know so. they can't wait to come back and eat Olive Garden. Um, La Madeleine, Olive all of our Madeline. great uh, Italian foods. Um, I don't blame them. I'd come back. Yes. And uh, and we made pasta here by scratch. Thank you, girls. Thank you so much for coming to the U.S. You've been, thank you. You've been fantastic. Well, thank you for having us. It was a great experience and yeah. a great family and everything. Yeah. And also, Sean Esquire, I am planning a Olympic trip to see the Olympics next year. And then I think we should do the podcast in Paris Olympics 2024. Yes. Okay. Let's get tickets. Okay. Yes, I agree. Anything else girls, do you want to say uh, goodbye to the U S au revoir and, um, bonjourno. Adios. <laughs> Adios. Adios. Okay. Sean Esquire. Thank you so much. I'll miss oh, you, buddy. We... I'll miss you. Wait, anything else? Uh, I was going to say diniente. I always say that. Diniente. Is that Italian? It's or? like you're welcome. It's like you're welcome. You, you don't know what yeah. you're doing. You, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Close enough. All right. Jenna Squire, love you very much. And, love you uh, too. Yeah. All right. Take care, buddy. Good to hear from you.